Sabres Live is presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Dynamic duos, two for Tuesday. We are with you once again. Sabres Live, and yet, Marty, all our plans might well be out the window. We wanted to focus on Darlene and power and what Buffalo may have once they, regardless of when they get their contract extensions. But that topic overshadowed by the departure of one Patrice Bergeron on this day, which may directly have an impact on defense cores across the NHL. In fact, 32 teams, group of six, seven, or eight, might be celebrating today that they don't have to deal with the pesky, perennial, Selkie winner, Patrice Bergeron, anymore. Yeah, I, I will say this. There's 15 teams in the Eastern Conference that are celebrating the departure of Patrice Bergeron today because I do believe it makes the Boston Bruins more vulnerable this year. And that has been my projection when I looked at next year's standings is, well, no Bergeron with Boston. Uh, you know, how does that affect David Pasternak? How does, it, does that affect Brad Marchand and the way that these two have been playing? Right. So I think that it uh, not only does it affect the team defensively, I think it affects the team offensively. No, this is unbelievable. And, and look, first of all, Patrice Bergeron, one of the nicest person I've ever encountered. He grew up about 20 minutes away from where I grew up. And every summertime and early in his career, he would show up to our golf tournament. And it was, you know, some guys you call for a golf tournament. It's, yeah, maybe I'll be there. Yeah, maybe I'll be there. And then Patrice Bergeron was always there, always willing to help. Uh, so to me, that was the gentleman side of him. That was the first thing I noticed. And obviously on the ice, he was, he was incredible. How many Selkies? Six. Can you, you know who, who's second who... in Selkies? Don't care. <laughs> Well, yeah, you would care. And <laughs> I'm just you know teasing. <laughs> Ooh. Bob Gainey with four. Yeah. I was actually, th that surprised me how few he had because oh, so I felt like the my entire upbringing, I felt like Craig Ramsey was chasing him year after year after year after year that it was Bob Gainey's award, right? Yeah. So what do Craig Ramsey and Patrice Bergeron have in common? They, well, Bob Gainey won the first Selkie no, and no. Bergeron Craig, won the last. Craig oh, Craig, Craig Ramsey, Ramsey and, Bob and, and Patrice Bergeron. Forget Gainey. Did they win it in their last year? They left as the reigning Selkie winners. Okay. Yes. And for Ramsey, what was of note was it was the first time he had finally won it yeah. After years and years and years of being in the voting every year. So when what's he, the biggest difference between Bob Gainey and Patrice Bergeron? Why do you keep bringing Bob Gainey? We're talking about Craig Ramsey here. Well, I know, but uh, because Bob Gainey won Sabres four. Live, Bergeron, Habs live. I, well, I'm uh, talking about the news and the fact that Bergeron won six and second most in Bob Gainey. And, and years ago, we thought, uh, let's rename the award the Bob Gainey Award because he was correct. like, you thought of the Selkie, you thought of Bob Gainey. What's the single most difference between Bob Gainey and Patrice Bergeron just like Kopitar more cups for Gainey uh okay that's not what I was looking at it because that's a team of all that matters I'm looking at individual stats Bergeron has twice as many points as Bob Gainey in his well, career Bob, Bergeron Bob didn't has... have to do the heavy lifting based on the nine jerseys from that team that are retired in the Bell Center rafters it's just a different way to view 
the best defensive forward yes. is that Bob Gainey was a defensive forward, strictly the defensive side of the game, the shutdown side of the game. And Patrice Bergeron still yeah. had seasons over 30 goals, uh, you know, got over a thousand points in his career. So to me, that's the big difference. Well, it is, but again, it's circumstantial. Like Bob Gainey scored a lot. He just didn't have to. The Bruins have, like, who else have they had? They've been leaning on Patrice Bergeron. I think it's a totally different dynamic. All I'm saying is if you'd stripped away some of the great Habs, Ganey could have been trusted to deliver more offensively. That's all I'm saying. But they were just, I, so, maybe, they were just so stacked, they didn't need it. You yeah, know what maybe I mean? he would have. But also then you look at the way that this award was in the first few years of giving out the Selkie, like even a Guy Carbonell, right? Uh, that was yes. like very much of a defensive center, uh, a, a face-off specialist. And then it started to change because then you got Sergei Fedorov that won the award a couple of times. And you're thinking, oh, Fedorov is, was, was a good defensive player, but there was a lot more offense than it used to be. I think that that's when it really changed to having a little bit more offense uh, in, in that role. Agreed. Now, my I don't like going down this path. It's, it's kind of unfair to Fedorov because I'm sure Scotty Bowman would laud his defensive efforts right away. But it was 92-93, correct? Um, so, no, 92-93 was actually Doug Gilmore that won it with okay. 127 when, points. And then 93-94 right. was Fedorov with 120. Yeah, I felt like we were in a window there of the waning best offensive years of the NHL at that time. Yes where it was almost like a consolation prize. Like, these guys were so good, we have to find a way to get the trophy into somebody's hands like this because they've played such a prominent role. They've been – I know that's not entirely fair. It's just like that – the 92-93 year, like they were trying to find awards for everybody. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, McGillney scored 76. Solani scored 76 as a rookie. Anyway, it was just ridiculous. Can I – since we've gone down this path and you just opened the Carboneau can of worms? Yes. Why is Guy Carboneau in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. I mean, you think of guys 663 like 63 points. Come on. I know. Like, McGillney, McGillney's not an Hall of Fame in Carboneau is. And I get that Guy Carboneau uh, did have a major impact on yeah. teams when he won the cup. Um, but again, it's a team, a team award, right? Like he's right. part of a team and, but he had a big impact in that. I totally get that. But, but again, like you have guys like it. So we talk about the Selkie because of Bergeron's retirement, but then it made me go down the list of guys that won the Selkie. Is like Michael Pecco won the Selkie with 20 goals. And let me see here his, his last one 25 goals, 35 points, 60 points. Uh, 25 goals, 35 assists, 60 points. Sorry. You need to take a breath. <laughs> but they like that's a good offensive season. But then you had Yuri Lettinen, right? That was like, again, more of a strictly defensive type forward he had some good no offensive numbers at times but that was the mold and then you had Pavel Datsuk that came on the scene right and it was like you know what I'll show you how it's done I'll have 97 points and be the best stick take takeaway type guy that you've ever seen so to me that's really like that award award could be seen in so many different ways depending on the player that's at the forefront of of the year all right, here's one for you. Yeah. Which trophy is more likely to be renamed first? The Art Ross in honor of Wayne Gretzky or the Selkie in honor of Patrice Bergeron? 
I think it would be a total failure if the Gretzky acknowledgement doesn't happen first. Oh, it it has to. It like, I mean, I I could see the Bergeron, the Patrice Bergeron trophy being renamed. Now, I'm not in favor of it. I've never been in favor of renaming the trophies. I think that it just tells you how long your league has been active, the history, go back and learn about the 1900s and the 30s and the 40s and 50s or whatever, right? So that does that. But if you are going to rename the Selkie the Patrice Bergeron Award, mm-hmm. like that's in 15, 20 years from now. Like that's not in five years. We could go for 50, yeah. Maybe 50. Like Wayne Gretzky has been now retired 24 years. Like there's got to be a Gretzky award coming at some point. I mean, yes, it have to be the Art Ross with Wayne Gretzky number one. Okay, so we're asking and wondering what impact this Bergeron retirement has. And in the midst of the conversation, I couldn't help but laugh because producer Jeff <laughs> chimed in that there's no waiver activity in the NHL today yes. here on July 25th and I'm not sure why he sent that because I wouldn't necessarily expect it on July 25th, but I found it wove itself perfectly into the discussion. It's like, oh, are the Bruins making a panic move and trying to claim somebody on waivers in the middle of the summer? Anyway, um, no waiver activity. Well, no, we could no have waivers activity if. So, what? Well, we could have waivers activity if somebody's about to get uh, a buyout, at two o'clock, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so well, we yeah, could yeah, see, that too. Yeah. We could see that at two o'clock today where Matt Murray's been put on waivers for the intention of a buyout. Like you mm-hmm. could definitely see that. Okay. So any impact here? Bergeron. The impact is is that okay, let's look at the Atlantic division, right? The top four teams in the Atlantic oh, last hang year. Hang on, hang on. Okay. Why I understand it and I don't understand it. And this is the NHL's fault. You immediately gravitate to let's look at the Atlantic division. Yes. I can almost never look at anything divisionally because it doesn't matter. You have to do it within the conference to actually make the playoffs. Well, you're right with that, but I'm going to look at the top three teams are guaranteed a playoff spot in the Atlantic division. So I'm cleaning my own bedroom before I start cleaning the house, right? Like I'm looking at what can I do in my bedroom before I start looking at the full house. So you're so good. That's the way I'm looking at it. So the four teams that made the playoffs from the Atlantic last year, the Boston Bruins, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Florida Panthers. There's your four teams right there. So again, I feel like there's two and even potentially three teams now with Boston losing Bergeron and the the in uncertainty of David Krejci and, and not only Bergeron, but they lost. Tyler Bertuzzi, which was an acquisition late in the season. They lost Dimitri Orlov. They lost Connor Clifton to the Sabres. Like, there's been so many departures this year. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at three teams out of those four that, to me, are going to take a step back. I'm looking at Tampa taking a step back. Now, is it a 20-point step back? Is it a 10-point step back? Does it really matter when you're the Tampa Bay Lightning? And the Boston Bruins is the same thing. But I think those two take a step back. And the Florida Panthers are going to take a step back. So there's more points to be had right there. If you're the Buffalo Sabres, you can think, okay, we're going to 96, 97, 99, 100 points, potentially from extra points that are going to be available inside the division. 
if Tampa takes a single step back, they're not making the playoffs. So I don't know how much regression is likely there. Um, Toronto maybe steps back a few points from the 111. I think Boston drops at least 30 points from the 135 that they had last year. Wow. And that may that may be now closer to 40 points, which would put them at 95 and right on the cusp. So um, I don't know if, how you can look Boston at their... If Boston drops 30 points... That that number one would be a big drop. It would still put him in the playoff spot, but again, lot, that's thirty yeah. more points that's that's available for a team like Buffalo, right? And and, anyone, and other teams and yes. and anyone. Yeah. So that's my big thing right now. I still I don't think Pittsburgh and the Islanders are, are going anywhere. I think the Devils have a chance to win the conference. I think Carolina has a chance to win the conference. And insert team name here has a chance to win the conference. If well, maybe this is a stretch, but. Like, wouldn't you like, wouldn't the Leafs look better if they land Eric Carlson? Um, yeah, they would look better. I just don't see Eric Carlson making it to Toronto. Although I know well, that. What about Pittsburgh? Gonna, I mean. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, yes. Pittsburgh and Carolina did have a transaction yesterday where they signed Tony D'Angelo uh, mm-hmm. to a one-year deal. And How did you like his haircut? I did not see his new haircut. I was meaning like from a salary trim. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. I thought there was an actual look to be uh, focused on right now, but yeah, no, there was a, a pretty significant trim to, uh, to the salary. Maybe there won't be a haircut for the year. Try to save money that way, but no. I mean, and does that mean that Carolina now is out of the Eric Carlson sweepstake in the sense that like, I still think that if Carolina wants to acquire Eric Carlson, a bigger piece on D is going to be moved out like a Brett okay. Pesci or something. So I still think Carolina can do it. Uh, but I feel like if I was like uh, setting up a line, uh, a betting line, I think Pittsburgh would be the number one team uh, as a team to land Eric Carlson still at this time of year. Well, let's look at Carolina here for a second as far as their defense core. This is insane, quite frankly. Uh, their group they've, is, is they've added Dmitry Orlov. Yes. On on. Now we never would have said this a year and a half ago. But it does appear to be a very, very, very sharp contract for both sides. Orloff just had, he had good timing and bad timing here as for where his game was at. He's a little old to be cashing in, so he didn't get term. But he did get some pretty big bucks short term at 7.7, you know, for two years. And I just think you've added Orloff, you've added D'Angelo. Is it really possible they could add Carlson to this mix too? That still has Slavin, Burns, career year Brady Shea, and as you mentioned, the dangling participle known as Brett Pesci. Yes. It is not an actual dangling participle. That's a completely different uh, grammar term. But Brett Pesci, see, the thing is, Brett Pesci is a $4 million player. Could you make it work? Right now, the Carolina Hurricanes have a little bit under a million bucks uh, on the cap. So again, I think teams, what they're going to do is maybe go with a opening night roster of 20 or 21 players to be cap compliant at the start of the season. And then injuries come in and then you can manage the cap that way. But Eric Carlson is not going to come in at less than $6 million. It's impossible. 50% of salary retention is 5.75. So, and, and San Jose doesn't want to do that. I think you're probably getting Carlson at seven or seven and a half million dollars. That's what right. you're getting them at. So how many defense are you getting rid of then? You're getting rid of Pesci and somebody else? Well, I think you got to get rid of Pesci. 
And then you probably have to look at. They don't have a well, lot of wiggle room elsewhere, you know? They, I mean, they already got a hometown discount from Stahl. Well, right now they do have three goaltenders on the roster, according to Cap Friendly. So one yeah, of those one's a goaltenders. Bucks, so. Yeah, yeah, a million five. So I think Pyotr Kochekov is probably the one more likely to be sent down again. And mm-hmm. that saves a million dollar on the cap for the Carolina Hurricanes. So now you <laughs> go from having about six and a half million dollar cap space as the way cap friendly is building it up right now. Kochekov, um, how do you think he's feeling right now? Not to get too far down this path, but like, it was pretty stunning when he got the four-year contract extension very yeah. early on. And have you looked at his deal? Like he's, um, you know, the obviously yeah. the money is the money, right? Like so, like in the minors, he's getting two million this year if he goes down. Yeah. It's one seven next year, one seven the year after that, and then two point five <laughs> if somehow he's still in the AHL four years from now. Like that's not obviously the case. Like I would have already made a five hundred thousand dollar bonus. He's made a half a million bonus on July one. That that yeah. was a signing bonus. So yeah, uh, I would assume that you know. And again, they've drafted a boatload of goalies the last couple of years. <laughs> yes, but uh, you know, Kachetkov will, will be a full time NHLer next year at the not like maybe not this coming season, but with Anderson and Ranta and their injury history, you never know how how much. But anyway, didn't mean to get too far down the Carolina path, but I do think their makeover is interesting. People forget that, or I forget, I shouldn't say other people did, but like adding Michael Bunting in the midst of, in the midst of all of, you know, what they currently have in their forwards, I think is, it's been a, been an interesting off season for Carolina, for sure. Well, Uh, if you um, think of Carolina and you, you, you don't think of big money guys, right? Like they have obviously Sebastian Au at eight and a half and Svetsnikov at seven some, but, but they have a lot of guys between two and a half and $5 million, right? That's like a big core of their guys, good players that are Mm -hmm. being paid three and eight and a half, four and a half, five and a half million dollars. But you know, you look at Toronto. That's why, like, I think Toronto is dealing with they're dealing now is they got all these high price players. And I, that's why I don't think Carlson, and that's going back to Eric Carlson, mm-hmm. maybe going to Carolina, maybe going to Pittsburgh. I don't think Toronto fits because you really have to shed a ton of salary to make that work. And I think other teams are not going to send a life line to the Toronto. Oh, don't say that. Everybody does. And Toronto's been getting those life preservers for years now. It happens every single off season. So <laughs> well I know you I know it has happened, but yeah. I, I'm sending the message in the universe. Don't do it. That's what I'm sending the message in the universe right now. Well they're probably thrilled the Bergeron is gone. Um yes. <laughs> based on their lack of playoff success against the Bruins. Um so Bergeron retires uh Tony D'Angelo's a hurricane once again Minimal cost for them at 1.675. His only year with the Canes, he had 51 points. Last year, there were 20 defensemen in the NHL who had 50 or more points. And yesterday on the show, when we started talking about when, and that's it's almost secondary, when Darlene and Power get their extensions, we'll yes. obviously have that clearer idea of just projecting out, you know, for how long this lineup may look similar. And more importantly, what is reasonable to expect on an annual basis, production-wise, from Darlene and Power? The question is, like, how often do we see? You were talking about it. You you even threw Power into a potential sixty-point yes category in in the in the you know next few years. I started that search today. Teams with two defensemen having sixty points a year. On the same team. I very quickly adjusted it 
to two team. Uh, sorry, two. two defensemen on the same team with more than fifty points in a season. That has your, never your happened. Your first research was coming up uh, kind of uh, empty. I could yes, that would be a valid point. Uh, <laughs> it has never happened in Sabres history. Okay. In fact, the Sabres have had eighteen instances of a single defenseman having more than 50 points in a season. Wow. And remember, prior to Darlene doing it two years ago, we hadn't seen it since Gary Galley in 95, 96. Mm-hmm. So the 50-point plateau is still, no matter what the era, high scoring, low scoring, like it's a, it's a remarkable plateau. So the likelihood of you having two such players from the defense position getting 50 points or more in the same season is very rare. How rare? How rare is it? Well, I like to call from 0506 on the new modern era mm-hmm. because it's the cap world. It's been a different NHL than any previous era. That is now 18 seasons since the NHL was reborn in 0506. We have seen 19 instances total where a team has had two defensemen with 50 plus points. Okay. You want to tell me the most recent? The most recent, I'm going to say. There were actually two of them last year. Two teams had it. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Uh, One of them was supposed to win the cup. Boston with, um, who would have been with Lindholm and McAvoy. Okay. 53 and 52 respectively. Oh, yeah, Lindholm was hot to start the season, then cooled off. You're right. And the other one, the previous year's cup winner. Makar had oh, 66 right and Taves and Taves yeah. landed right on 50. Do you know what I found interesting in the research? Because of wh- where my research started, which was the 60 point thing of these 19 instances in the last 18 years where a team has had two defensemen with 50 plus points only once have both of those defensemen topped 60 okay. only once. It was Brian McCabe and Thomas Caberlet with the Leafs in 05-06. They had 68 and 67 points, respectively. The team did nothing. But You know, it's funny you say that because, like, the first thought to my mind when you said Sabres defenseman with over 50 points, especially since the 04-05 lockout, first name that would have come to my, my mind was Brian Campbell. Like we celebrated mm-hmm. Soupy for how much offense he brought. He had 44 and 48 points the first two years out of lockout. Only mm-hmm. twice in his career did he get over 50 points. And it, and it was with, with Chicago, not yeah. with Buffalo. Like yeah. getting 50 points is a major thing for a defenseman. And last year, obviously, Dallin had the 73 points. Uh, Which can be not... expected now moving forward, right? I think, should, I think realistically, you, you could expect on any given year between 70 and 90 points from Darlene now, right? Oh, absolutely. I would say okay. that's a, that's a big gap. I would yeah. say you can probably expect 80 to 90 every year. Now I know last year yeah. did not get to 80 points, but I would put him at 80 points uh, for sure this season. So and I, also, and then, I also project playing 82 games, right? Like, so that's how yeah. I project it. Yeah. And and I love it. And I love your projections. I love your optimism for power. So this is why we're talking about this, because I think you'd be crazy not to think that on any given year, these two guys could push from the blue line position and have more than 50 points. Did you know, however, in this window of time, including the 0506 to now, we've only seen two instances where we had two prolific D on the same team go on to win the cup that year. 0607, 
Niedermeyer had 69 points and Pronger had 59. And the very next year, Nick Lidstrom and Brian Rafalski. Yeah. 70 and 55. But what's incredible, and you know how, you know, sometimes we get nostalgic with team building and we all have our favorite little eras and, oh, this reminds me of this team and, oh, this reminds me of this team. Well, what what have most people thought in their pie-in-the-sky hopes when Rasmus Dahlin was taken number one? He could be their he could be the Sabres Nick Lidstrom. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. Control the game, be the consistent first team all-star. The Red Wings, 0506-0607-0708-0809. Four straight years. They had two defensemen, 50 points or more. Lidstrom leading every single time. Two of the years were with Matthew Schneider, mm-hmm. 59 and 52 points, respectively. The next two years had Rafalski, one of the years, the year they lost Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final to Pittsburgh, they had three, Lidstrom, Rafalski, and Cronwall, mm-hmm. all topped 50 points. And Marty, that's the kicker here, because when we started the show today, you said, who was Buffalo's third leading scoring defenseman well, last year? And this is where it gets interesting. The Sabres were the 20th highest scoring defense core last year, but it was largely just around two guys. Well, I think they, I, I think they I need had, more. If I told you Owen Power had only 35 points last year. Well, 35 is good. It's not only. Okay, but I would say like we expect Owen Power to be a 50-point defenseman. I think even 60. Like mm-hmm. when I look at Owen Power, I think that playing 82 games, that's three-quarter of a points a game on average. Like 60 points is, is a possibility, a strong possibility for Power. But so if I told you, you know, Power 35 points or – Labushkin was third on scoring for the defenseman for the Sabres last year. What would be more surprising? I think everybody says Labushkin third. Like, it's just, it's crazy to think that Ilya Labushkin was your third highest scoring defenseman on the team last year. So. I would have never guessed it. No, we, I don't we, think I would have We could have exhausted either. the entire hour. And I, I, I. I would not have got there. Despite his incredible overtime shorthanded winner against Tampa, I never would have got there. (laughs) Well, not only that, there's another one for you. I mean, 15 goals for Rasmus Dahlin, four for Owen Power, three for Yokiaryu, and then after that, it's two for Lebushkin, two for Samuelson. I mean, there was not a lot of scoring from the blue line Mm -hmm. other than Dahlin. And to a certain extent, power last year, but very you know much who, just Rasmus Dalin. Do you know who would have easily been Buffalo's third leading scoring defenseman had he not moved on? Had he not? Oh, it would have been uh, Casey Fitzgerald. Will Morgan. He had 20 <laughs> points last well, year. Well, you're with talking the about two years ago. I thought this year moving on, maybe Casey Fitzgerald would have been that guy. But you know what's funny, though? And I know we're going to take a break quickly here, but you talked about Niedermeyer Pronger. Yeah. You talked about Lindstrom Rafalski. Yes. Uh, you could even talk about Stevens Niedermeyer with the New Jersey Devils. What of all these three pairings have in common? They played together. Mm. They all played together. Niedermeyer Pronger played together with the Ducks, right? Yeah, and it was kind of a three-headed monster. Boschman, and be- between the Boschman three of them, was they, good. They, they, they ate collectively. Like they, It seemed like one of them was constantly on the ice. So. But if the Sabres do it right... 
Yes. You will probably never see much of Dalene and power on the ice at the same time. And that to me is where the difference is. If you don't have a 60 and a 50 point defenseman playing together, but you have a 60 point defenseman on one D pair and a 50 point defenseman on the other. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden your top four has got two offensive threat that can gather 50, 60, 70 points a year. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's a lot to look at here. And I love the idea that we're having this discussion with so many well, you know, with current Sabres and comparing it, contrasting it with incredibly well-respected duos and, you know, groups of six from years gone by. We will continue the discussion on the defense. We would love to hear you chime in on not only what you project for these two, what you think of, quite frankly, because like they might well be Buffalo's dynamic duo moving forward. And of course, the impact of Bergeron's retirement from the Bruins. Hit us up at Sabres Live. And uh, while you're connecting with us online, head over to sabres.com. Get involved in the opportunity to be at KeyBank Center this year with 22 game plans. Yes, the half seasons are available in the Royal and the Gold plans. Uh, become a half season member, receive access to exclusive events, savings on box office prices, the Sabres store, and more. Visit sabres.com slash memberships to learn more. Sabres Live on a Tuesday rolls on after this. 